This week's sponsor is Evil Overlord Security. Hey, we own the police and criminals, so who's going to mess with us? For a nominal fee, we'll make sure they don't mess with you either. No questions asked. That's Evil Overlord Security. But what if I want protection from Evil Overlord? Why you? This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast. A podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, and you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And with that, welcome to the 483rd episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Tonight, we discuss the untouchable as an adversary in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. I'm Chris. And I am, of course, Old Man Logan. Woo! We are here. It only took 12 takes to get through that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, of course, this teleprompter scrolling. We'll fix that later. Yes. Yeah, you know. <clears throat> All right. The more important thing is that we are professional. Professional. All right. Time for the temperature check. Let's see how everybody's doing. Jerry, how are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling good. I'm about to go on vacation for two weeks, so I'm the yeah, uh, longest vacation I've ever taken as an adult. So can, I, can I ask you a question? Who isn't going on vacation here? Raise their hand. Bob. Oh, poor Bob. You know, that Bob, is staying. Yeah. Bob is watching the house misdirected. Right <laughs> you guys are the suck-sores. But uh, yeah, so I'm feeling good. Chris? I'm going on vacation tomorrow, so yeah, I'm feeling great. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about you? I got one more day of work, so it'll be, uh, it's simulated Friday for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm basically just going to finish my checklist and leave. Like, whatever time that finishes, I'm just walking out. Like, there's nothing else to do, so. <laughs> um, no, it's fine. Like, I mean... I just, you know, I got a couple last minute things I got to take care of, um, but otherwise I'm fine. I'm good. Fantastic. Do we have any on- announcements? Oh, uh, we didn't do Bob. Gee. <laughs> Thanks. How's Bob feeling? <laughs> Pretty fucking unappreciated, pal. <laughs> That's fair. That's, That's fair. fair. That's fair. Have a stale Twinkie. <laughs> they do go bad. <laughs> Remind me to tell you about this time I left the Twinkie on the shelf in my room for a whole year. Did you eat year. it then? Yes, I did. Oh, oh God, that's after show material right yes. there. Yes, old, old school Twinkie. Your new old school Twinkie. That's what you have to tell us later on. So it was old school Twinkie because I'm old. All right. Well, Bob, how are you feeling? So old school feel... Twinkie was his name in college, by the way. <laughs> vanilla on vanilla. For that one year that I was in college. <laughs> ah, God, you guys. So, let's go to the announcements. <laughs> we ain't got no announcements. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Keep rolling. <laughs> you going to read the part that says YouTube content? <laughs> no, I don't read titles. He only reads the, the, the actual material. Just read the material. For everybody who doesn't know, there's a joke. Maybe it'll be an outtake where there was some black text, which is my color in the show notes. And I read it even though I knew I wasn't supposed to because it was funny. I like shtick. Shtick is good. All right. You're saying you could have I feel you. pretty good, by the way. So just going <laughs> to get that out of the way. All right. Just, just fucking unappreciated. Just, just unappreciated. <laughs> I was just quoting. You. That's fine. All right. I suppose we get into it, huh? Dun, dun, dun. Boom, boom. Many RPGs pit the heroes against an adversary they can defeat by brute force or direct confrontation. However, fiction is full of enemies that are above the law or behind too many layers of protection. Politicians, kings, mafia bosses, and even the idle rich can make excellent adversaries for your PCs. Uh, Let me hit you with a few examples from popular media to get you in the mood for this discussion. Lex Luthor from Young Justice, King Joffrey, what a little shit, from Game of Thrones, the president in clear and present danger, and even Terry Benedict from Ocean's Eleven. Are you feeling it? These untouchable bastards? Now we're going to talk about how you can get after these jerks, because let me tell you, you do not want to walk up to them and try to punch them in the face. You will get wrecked. I know. I tried once. Uh, Jerry, t- take it away. I, I got to run. I said too much. 
to be a little less dramatic than Chris, on this episode of MMP, we're going to look at a few ways to run and confront these untouchable adversaries. Now, as plenty of our adversary files, the untouchable is often blended with another type of foe, such as a mastermind or the leader of an evil organization. As a result, the untouchable is also a template you can drop onto other adversary types. Before we get into detailed analysis on this, it's time for some definitions. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Webster defines an untouchable as something that is exempt from criticism or control. This creates a character who NPCs would be reluctant or even afraid to move against. In our games, this will limit the allies the players have and may increase the consequences of their actions against the untouchable. Another definition is lying beyond reach. In other words, the untouchable is in a position that makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to actively oppose, even if there are those willing to criticize or condemn them. In our games, this will often push the players to thwart the untouchable in other ways, such as affecting the untouchable's enterprises or interrupting their plans indirectly. So this makes our adversary not just someone powerful, but someone who cannot be directly opposed. A straight-up fight against them will most likely fail. Now that we know what the untouchable is, tell us why we'd like to use them in our games. The untouchable is an appealing villain because of what they represent. An enemy that the PCs have to outthink, not outfight, and has a character that the heroes will be striving against. In addition, the untouchable presents a chance for the GM to create a reoccurring villain that the players can love to hate, or just hate over and over and over again. If the untouchable is known to the players, this can allow the GM to have a focus for their campaign, giving direction for their adventures and providing more explanations for plots and scenes. When something needs to happen, an NPC needs to have certain information, or the PCs need to have a small speed bump put in their way, the untouchable can be behind these issues. This adversary can use the influence to make things happen or not happen. For example, if the adversary is a political figure, any direct action by the PCs is likely to bring down legal consequences from lawsuits and restraining orders to police action. Permits, arrest warrants, and even contacts may be denied to the heroes. The PCs will have to work in the shadows to get at the untouchable. If the adversary is wealthy, they will have access to resources that they can bring to bear against the PCs, both directly and indirectly. In addition, they can use pop culture and social influence to harass the PCs. They may even make the heroes appear to be the bad guys in the adventure, which can present opportunities for unexpected role-playing encounters and alliances with groups the heroes would not normally interact with. Either way, the heroes will be outmatched and outmaneuvered in a direct confrontation. So let's look at the untouchable in more detail. The first thing you need to determine is what makes the adversary untouchable. Are they simply so wealthy that they can pay people off? Are they politically powerful, controlling the legal system and law enforcement? Are they the leader of a criminal empire, corrupting the authorities? They could even be a media mogul with the ability to modify public opinion and perception to make themselves look good and the heroes look bad. You could even combine some of these ideas. There is a lot of room for crossover. Mm -hmm. Deciding why they are untouchable will help determine what opposition they can employ against the party and can also help give some direction to your story arc. Let's look at an example. For our urban fantasy game, our big bad evil guy is the mayor of the city. They handpick the city council and have appointed several local judges. As the mayor, they control the police force and have the DA in their pocket. Unknown to the general public, this untouchable is also in league with an ancient evil, using dark arcane powers to accumulate wealth and maintain their position as the ruler of the city. When the heroes start to investigate the untouchable, they will come up against an uncooperative police force, corrupt judges, and a business environment reluctant to help. <gasps> Initially, nobody with any influence will be willing to listen to the PCs or act against the mayor. So how can our heroes stop the untouchable 
and their evil plans by interrupting the adversary's plot and schemes. Initially, the untouchable will have little contact with the heroes. Instead, the PCs will push against the untouchable through the actions of their underlings, minions, plots, and schemes. Any worthy untouchable is going to be attempting a number of things to maintain and grow their power. These are the incidents that the heroes can directly affect. Breaking up smuggling rings, stealing resources, destroying illegal enterprises, and even taking underlings out of commission will all interfere with the Untouchables' plans. Man, it sounds like that Daredevil season one story arc. Mm -hmm. Even though they aren't directly confronting their adversary, the party will be affecting the Untouchables' power. As the campaign progresses, the party will likely foil more and more of the Untouchables' plans. This, in turn, will draw more of the adversary's attention which should result in more resources being brought to bear against the heroes. So in our urban fantasy example, the mayor is using their influence to manipulate several criminal enterprises. They are using the police to arrest certain drug dealers and low-level criminals. Many of those arrested never end up being processed. Instead, they're being taken to another location to become victims of the cult the mayor leads. Mm. As the party starts investigating these missing persons, along with the appearance of supernatural creatures, they will come up against the kidnapping ring and the cult. Stopping the kidnapping ring and the cult's rituals does several things. First, it deprives the mayor of the powers the rituals provide. Second, it lets the heroes know the police had a large part to play in the kidnappings. And third, it reveals that someone in the government is involved. As the heroes move to stop some of the other crimes, they will continually come up against the plots of the mayor. However, at least initially, they will be unable to confront the untouchable directly. As we discussed earlier, this adversary has to have a position to make them untouchable. This has to come up early enough that the players understand that a straightforward assault is not likely to work. Then again, these are players. They almost always surprise us with their ability to use stubborn determination and ridiculous plans to overcome seemingly unwinnable situations. You do that all the freaking time. Thank you. <laughs> yep. But when it comes to our untouchable, there needs to be clues for the players. Something they can see to push them to come up with other plans, such as... The denial of resources when it becomes known that the heroes are opposing the adversary. Allies and contacts being reluctant to give information or giving information with a stern warning. And allies being harassed by the minions of the untouchable. But you also have to be careful not to discourage the players. Make certain that they get enough help and direction to keep them focused on taking down the untouchable. As with the rest of our adversary files... What will make the untouchable truly memorable as a villain is a personal connection you'll need to build with the heroes. The untouchable should be using their influence to create problems that affect the PCs' lives. And that's not just harassing friends and allies. In our episode on lore, we went over the usefulness of tying in backstory to the lore of the campaign. The same thing applies here. The more connected the untouchable and their schemes are to the party, the more invested the heroes will be in stopping them. Before we go into more detail, we need to reiterate that fridging a PC's loved one is never a good idea. What's fridging? By fridging, we mean killing off someone close to the PC as a way to try to emotionally manipulate the PC and the player. At best, this is just bad storytelling, and at worst, it's unfair to the players. So unfair. It is. So instead, threaten the loved one's hopes and dreams, create problems with the PC's jobs or contacts, and put pressure on the local law enforcement to sever contacts and harass the heroes, not kill off somebody they love. Mm -hmm. In our example, the occult mayor will begin to use the police to harass the PCs. First, by not helping them when they report a crime. Then the police start investigating the PCs and questioning them about their actions. Finally, they'll begin shaking down the PCs' contacts and allies. At the same time, the mayor's office will put a spin on the actions of the PCs, making it look like every scheme they expose is either the work of other criminals or a crackdown on crime by the police and every supernatural occurrence is explained away as a conspiracy or a natural event. 
While harassing the Allies keeps it personal for the party, the GM decides to tie in one of the backstories of the PCs. One of the party is a fledgling wizard. Their teacher and mentor was a former member of the cult we mentioned earlier. The mentor left that evil cult. During the game, the PC learns about the dangers of the ancient evil that the mayor serves. This evil is the same evil the mentor once served. The mentor can now be helpful with information about the ancient evil, but is also deeply troubled by the fact that the cult is being so active. The mentor wishes to stop the cult from whatever they're trying to do. Also, the magic the mentor taught the fledging wizard is related to some of the magics from the cult. So when the cult is revealed, the party has a couple of connections to them through the fledging wizard's magic and their relationship with the mentor who was a former cult member. This can be used as motivation to go get involved and stop the cult. When it is discovered that the mayor is the leader of the cult, the party has more reasons to stay focused on the untouchable despite the adversary's power and position. So, how do they go about defeating an untouchable opponent? Because the untouchable is so powerful and influential, there needs to be a way for the PCs to defeat them. Some sort of exploitable weakness. People in positions of power want to remain in power, and there are always those who are looking to take them down. So the GM needs to create a weakness that can be exposed to go after the untouchable. Let's face it, Elliot Nest didn't take down Capone by shooting him. Mm -mm. Ness and his team went after the supplies of alcohol and then used the tax laws to get Capone arrested. So give your untouchable something the party can use to take them down. Vulnerability to public image, an opposing crime boss, financial investments that can be devalued or destroyed, or even destroying the reputation with their own allies and minions. So let's look at our evil mayor. They have control of the police and the judges, and they have their hands in an evil cult with ties to an ancient evil. While disrupting the activities of the cult, the party discovers that the mayor was involved in a number of crimes before they gained power, dealing stolen merchandise to raise money, violence against competitors, and even murder. Eventually, the party will be able to track down some of the evidence, including witnesses. Along the way, they discover that some of the murders were rituals that gave the mayor power and that the untouchable needs to have a personal effect of the victim to channel that power. Hmm. This leads to a heist that uncovers the mayor's cache of disturbing trophies from the sacrifices that led to their rise. Exposing these trophies and the DNA evidence that links them to the murder victims is enough of a scandal that the mayor is arrested and removed from office. You could use that as the end of the campaign or even have the non-disreputable mayor as a reoccurring villain as the heroes try to face off against the ancient evil. The ex-mayor is no longer an untouchable, but they can still be a threat. So, summarize the suggestions about using the untouchable in your RPGs. First, untouchable. Your adversary has to be both powerful and connected, with a reason that the party cannot confront them directly. Next, plots and schemes. Give your untouchable a number of plots and schemes that the players can foil while also revealing the untouchable's plan and reach. Show how the PCs are disrupting the work of the untouchable, even if they aren't completely stopping their adversary. Power. Use the untouchable's reach to harass the players and make things difficult without fringing allies or doing the PCs too many setbacks. Have the NPCs reveal how reluctant or unable they are to help the PCs directly confront the untouchable. Make it personal. Have connections between the untouchable and the PCs. Use backstory, relationships, and conflicts with personal goals to motivate your players to stay engaged with the untouchable. And lastly, an exploitable weakness. Make certain that your untouchable has a weakness that can be exploited so the heroes can ultimately prevail. That wraps up our discussion of the untouchable as the adversary. Bob, before we move on, why don't you tell us about another show in the Misdirected Mark Network? Tonight, we're going to be talking about Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. Jesse and Robert take monthly deep dives into the dark sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D. I really like Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. I've listened to a number of their episodes, and I like the fact that they keep going into the reasons um, that you would use this in a campaign and how to build on the stories that already exist to make it a, a gritty setting that players can interact with. So, And who doesn't like Dark Sun? Oh, I love Dark Sun. 
Uh, if you are a fan of Dark Zone or want to know about Dark Zone, it's a great podcast to learn about and just kind of revisit old loves. Z Bradshaw, <laughs> the, uh, the the animated spellbook, he does a pretty good story where it's like a spell jammer ship that lands on on Athos and they have an adventure there and people die and then they run away. It's funny. Like uh, If you haven't seen Z Bradshaw on the animated spellbook, you should check it out. It's really good. Right, now we're going to go through our roundtable questions. Yeah, roundtable. Yeah, round further table, discuss round the untouchable. He'll be round. So, okay. question number one. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about an untouchable that you've used or encountered as a GM or a player. I'm going to do this one, but Bob uh, has firsthand experience because Bob has been run over by this NPC. <laughs> um, from our D20 Modern game back in the early 2000s, uh, The Wolf. The Wolf. So The Wolf was a... Um, so The Wolf approached the characters as this kind of mysterious criminal enterprise, like benefactor. Like he was the top of like a pyramid scheme. Like, Hey, you guys seem to be making like a good gig here. Kick me 10% of everything you steal. And I'll make sure that the police and everything like stay off your back. Why didn't they just say yes? Right. Because well, you were greedy. So here's the thing. You know how you like to do social experiments in games? Yeah. So I decided to conduct a social experiment in my game, which was players were feeling pretty confident. They were making a lot of money. And I decided what would happen if I threatened their cash, right? So I made a direct play on their money using this NPC. And they freaked. Poorly. They didn't, it wasn't even a lot of money. <laughs> no. No, it wasn't. I think it was like 10%. It was, it was, it was reasonable. Like you could have said yes to this that, and survived. That would have been 10% and no more police. Yeah, yeah. So so the players being independent, fierce, or whatever, they push back on it, and then they decide to investigate and try to figure out who the wolf is. And what they discover is he's actually the chief of police in Las Vegas, which is where the game is set. Mm -hmm. And um, and he's running this basically pyramid scheme where it's like, you know, oh, it's less percentage for you if you bring me more criminals who'll pay up the chain, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 a complete pyramid protection scheme. So anyway, um, when the players botch it and realize, like, they reveal that they know who he is. Um, I had to actually like stop the game. This was like a case where I didn't have enough planning to be as cool as the NPC. Yeah, sure. So I was like, cool, we got to stop playing today. I need to go home and like work on some stuff. And he unleashed a plan that um, like you, like we said earlier, like putting like friends and stuff in, in danger, like loved ones got arrested. Arrest warrants went out for all the players. They were like on, they had to flee the city and they were like on the run while he torched his entire organization. He had like uh, scapegoats set up. He was using parolees to do like money laundering and parolees just go to jail. They don't get put on yep. trial. So he just violated all of his employees paroles and they all disappeared from the world. It was, he burned the whole thing down and eventually the players stalked him to the Cayman islands and um, ran a job on him. And when they were done, they put a bullet in the back of his head on a dock on the middle of the Cayman Islands. We greased the red bastard. All, all because I threatened 10% of their money. <laughs> I don't understand. For whatever reason, in that particular moment, like he, he, he hit a chord and all of us were like, no. <laughs> the game went from Ocean's Eleven to Reservoir Dogs yep. in like the course of like four weeks. Man. And it ended. The campaign ended like right there. They like put a bullet in him and they were like, and now we got to go like we got to lay low because he burned all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They took his money, though. Yeah, that was what they stole. They stole. We, we, we retired. Yes. Wealthy. They they found him. They found out where all his money was. They poked his money with that. I think the hacker poked at his money to draw him to the Cayman Islands to withdraw it. Mm -hmm. And then they stole his money, followed him and murdered him. OK, that is a dark fight. Like it ended like this was a 
very different game than how it started. Anyway, I don't, I don't know about the other players, but I'm not real proud of it. It, <laughs> it was it was not how got, it should have gone. You know, you know that thing from Anchorman, like wow, that escalated that quickly. Escalated quickly. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly like wow, that 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 really got out of hand fast. Alrighty then, yeah. That's me. He shouldn't have pushed back. He shouldn't have pushed back on them. They're player characters. They don't do that kind of thing. All right, I'll go next. (laughs) Uh, So I had a villain named James Whitemore. Uh, He was the captain of the unit of that the player characters were a part of in in the like my session zero and session one. And he ordered them to attack and bring out a building with imposing army's troops inside of it. But it was actually filled with non-combatants, women, children, elderly people who weren't really trained to fight. Uh, And this caused that unit of the army, a very competent and powerful unit of soldiers, to desert which turned the tide of that particular war and caused a ceasefire to be signed. Later, James got promoted to being a general and became one of the king's advisors, while the rest of the unit had warrants placed on them. Mm. So we have the general, of, that's the advisor to the king, uh, and the players were on the run for like three years. So when we pick up with the actual like first real session of the game, the players make a deal to get pardoned to be uh, part of a mercenary company that was brokered by another important member of the country. And then after that, they had numerous runs with James that they wanted to just murder him and they couldn't because they would have violated their parole and been like on the outs. Uh, and these were often politically motivated situations. But uh, James was also a pretty powerful warrior in his own right. So, you know, they couldn't just go after him until much, much, much later, like, like you know, when they were level 14 and like that, all the, the terrible stuff of the campaign came out. But he was pretty good. They hated that guy. As yeah. they should, right? Yeah. As they should. Mine comes from my uh, long-running V&V campaign that I ran at college. Um, there was a guy named Matthew Phillips, and he was a villain who was running uh, the government agencies, both GAME, which was the government agency investigating magical entities, and GASH, the government agency investigating super, super normals or superheroes. Sorry. Uh, he was also in charge of several number of the government institutions, including the Maximus program, which had a bunch of cloned uh, cyborg androids. Mm. And he was heavily involved in using the Light Ray Incorporated as a superhero, supervillain experimentation facility. That sounds like fun. So he was basically behind the scenes um, of both a bunch of villain teams, um, a couple of evil corporations. He was overseeing basically the superhuman version of the FBI and the CIA and playing around with stuff. Um, he was also the relative of several heroes. He was the brother of Man-Man. Man-Man was started out as a joke that became the most powerful hero in the game. Spider-Man, Batman, Man-Man. Um, he was the father of a superhero named Tempest. He was the son of Syriad, who was one of the powerful magic wielders in the planet. Um, they were all related to each other. And of course, he was one of the, he was the, the younger brother of, of Man-Man. Um, over multiple campaigns and reboots, he emerged to, uh, <clears throat> he emerged as a, as a villain who's just tough to unseat. Um, the parties exposed him. They escaped from his facilities in some campaigns. They undid his plans. Uh, one group completely dismantled the Maximus program. One took over a game. Um, eventually, they removed Gash from his control and so on. Um, it was interesting because he was always there in the background. Whenever we started a new campaign, eventually they'd brush up against him and they could throw whatever plans he was doing at the time. Uh, it got more complicated when they realized that the fact that his ultimate goal in doing all of this was to get enough superheroes together and supervillains to protect the world for a bunch of much larger threats like Nanteth, the Technomancer, a villain named Armageddon. Um, the fact that this was what he was doing was secondary to the point that he was also trying to do this by controlling the world. His whole theory was, if I've got control over all the supernatural entities on this planet, when these big things come, I'll be able to divert them against them and I'll still be in control. Sure, I'm the only, um, one. I'm the only one who can save all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, was, he was kind of a Doctor, Doctor Doom. He was a Doctor Doom-like guy. There you go. Um, but he was, uh, the fact that he was also a relative of the characters meant that just walking up and offing him would go really badly. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. That's a, that's a, that's a mutually assured destruction situation right there. Yes. Bob, you have one? We're all dead. Um, you know, I, I, I would have gone with the wolf cause he was really the, uh, the, the, the one that I can remember out of all the campaigns that we played. Um, 
So Phil has already done that justice. So we shared that one. Yes, yeah, we, we shared that one. one. All right. Now, question two, what is the most difficult part of running Untouchable and how do you overcome that? So uh, it's this is sort of conjecture. Like I had an Untouchable, but I mean, I don't know. I didn't really know what I was doing then. Like I just just did a thing. I just I was like in retrospect, I'm like, oh, yeah. But um, I have to say, what do you do when the players go right at the Untouchable? Because if they do, then the Untouchable really isn't all that Untouchable. It's all just a mind game. Like this whole thing's a mind game. Like, yeah, the campaign could te- technically end if they do. But there's nothing really stopping them from just going right after them aside from like, I have some thoughts. Any 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 yeah, stuff that you set up, <laughs> yeah. uh, because the other like that bad thing that can happen is like, what are you going to do to them? Just take their character away? <laughs> like once they've done away with the untouchable, which isn't terrible. That's 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 one of the things that I I come to with this. So I think one of the most important things you can do is provide a roadmap for the players so they can see some actual way to overcome this untouchable over the course of time without losing their characters, mm-hmm. and also you know play the premise of the game if that's what you set up. Yeah. Um, if they can get the untouchable without losing their characters, that could be considered a win-win. Uh, I also think that it's very important that the ad- that the players buy into the idea that the adversary is untouchable. And that means you have to let them know that ahead of time, or at least early enough in the game to see that that they're the objective, but that the players will have a chance to do something against them. I've been in campaigns where there is an untouchable, and the GM hasn't let us know that this is something we're not supposed to deal with right here, right now, and getting defeated by this guy over and over and over again makes the players decide to, at best, give up, and at worst, just join his team. Sure. I, I just always get to the um, the Lex Luthor thing, right? Because, I mean, I love Young Justice, don't get me yeah. wrong. I watch that show all the time. I, I know there's that scene with Arsenal. Sure. I mean, that could have gone either way. Sure. Like, I, I wouldn't have talking about when, Ars- when, when Lex gave Arsenal an arm. Yeah, uh, okay. Because Arsenal's ready to kill Lex because yeah. of what Ar- Lex did to him. Yep. I don't see any, like, there's really very little fallout to Arsenal killing him there. Like, in a role-playing game, if that's a player character, uh, he just kills him. And, uh, like, what's the big deal? Was, I got I got some ideas. It's that. a rogue superhero that did a rogue superhero thing, not really part of the Justice League. Doesn't affect the greater world in a lot of ways. No, but, I, I mean, so, I guess, I don't know, it's a good segue. Do you want me to just kind yeah, of dive sure. in? Yeah, sure. All right. So, my concern about this, right, was how to make the untouchable untouchable enough, right? So, this is the, so it's one thing I agree with you, right? Players have to buy in. This is an untouchable, like don't make a direct run at it, but you've also got to create enough around this untouchable to do a couple of things, right? So one, they need some level. You need to figure out how to protect them from direct action, right? That's simply like I'm walking in Lex's office and I'm going to, I'm going to off them. So you, you got to have something in place for that, right? You have some idea what you're going to do if that happens. The next thing is you need some deterrence, right? So you just need you need some deterrent that will like that just when the players think of that idea, they're like, mm, yes, but right. His office is, you know, his office is a minefield of defenses. His secretary is a, you know, killer robot. Like, you know, I'm using Lex as an example, but sure. I but just you got to thinking of the number of times where Superman or Batman have just showed up in, in, in Lex's bedroom. Right. But here's <laughs> the thing, like Superman's his own deterrent. Sure. Right. Like Super- so was Batman. Yeah. So yeah. was Batman. Right. Both of them are bound by a code that lo- that that Lex knows he can exploit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. His defense for those guys is themselves. Sure, yeah. But, a, but like, how would he handle, like, you know, how does he handle, you know, like a rogue superhero, right? Like, somebody who's gone completely, like, you know, they've lost it, or they're just like, forget it, I'm, you know, I'll do this one bad act because it'll bring good things, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, so, again, so you gotta have the enough defenses, right, to protect you out from an all-out attack. You need deterrence that make players stop and think, is this a good idea? And then the other thing you need is repercussions, yeah, right? Repercussions. You need, you do, you need repercussions so that when the players, if the first two don't work, 
right? If they're like, I could beat his shields, right? I could beat his killer secretary. And the deterrence, like he's got a whole bunch of people or he's got cameras everywhere. They're going to see you do it, right? I don't care. I'm going to do it, right? That's the deterrent, mm-hmm. right? He's highly publicized figure. It's going to be hard to take him out anywhere where they, where people aren't going to see you. Then the last one is the repercussions, right? Like it's murder. Like your care, like you can do this. You can murder Lex Luthor. Your character is going to be hunted by Superman. You're going to be arrested. You're going to super prison. And as a player, your story ends. Mm-hmm. Like that, like, so when you layer all of those is like how you make them mm-hmm. untouchable enough. Cause you can't without getting all GM fiat and like mm-hmm. rocks fall, you can't just protect them from everything. Yeah, man. It's like I said, it's still just a giant mind. Game. It is a mind game, but yeah. all GMing is a mind game. Yeah. But <laughs> this, the untouchable is even more of a mind yeah. game than, than most things. Well, I agree. And, and here's where you're at the disadvantage, right? You're at the disadvantage because you are one guy. Yep. You, the GM, mm-hmm. you are outnumbered by a table full of players. That is always the case. Yeah. 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 So you have a table full of players that are working overtime to put their hands on this untouchable. Now, one, like we said, there needs to be kind of an unspoken thing. Mm -hmm. And two, much like, much like when you play a game of Monopoly, you don't just like decide, well, you know what? I I don't want to buy any things and I'm just going to run around the board and I don't care if I lose, right? Because you're violating the spirit of the game. Mm -hmm. The same thing is true here. When I tell you, like, if you murder Lex Luthor, you know, the guy's got cameras everywhere. You're going to be seen. You're going to get arrested and you're playing heroes. Like if a player's yes, like, I don't those, care. If those are all the actual things of the game, then sure. Yeah. Right? Like, like I said, your sessions zero can, can solve some of that stuff. But yeah. But I mean, you have to lay down the, like you have to lay down yeah. the groundwork, but here's the thing. If, if you don't lay down the groundwork and one of your characters is like Wolverine, like character, mm-hmm. you had better work extra hard to assume that Wolverine character is showing up in that office. What's your plan? Yes. The plan is, He's got information on that. He's got information that's valuable to that character Yeah, that you could murder me, but you'll never know the secret of weapon X. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's, that's how you get Wolverine. Yeah. Right. So that last thing you have to have is the contingency. I mean, yeah, the, that's the real trick yeah. for the untouchable is like, what is their way out? Yeah. Or, or, or just the campaign ends. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's, the, the campaign is going to have to end. That character's, end. that character's story is over. If but that like, player decides that this is fine, I'm going to retire this character and I'm done. No, I mean, I mean, if the campaign is stop this guy. Well, sure. Then and, it's over. You know, we, or let's take it away from from something like the Mar- like the DC universe. With like you're doing like a like a fantasy campaign, and they stop this guy. Well, then that's the end of that. That's the end of that story arc. Um, or that that guy was you know stopping something well, else, and the next campaign becomes well, what was he actually doing? And now Darkseid comes to the, well, comes to Earth. That's yeah. my that was my point with, with yeah. my guy because my guy had his own personal power on top of the fact that yes. he had he had a bunch of political shielding on, on to go along with it. And that's what makes like if Lex Luthor had like the power set of Darkseid, like it's a different problem. Sure. Because it's like, no, you're not going to go run up and punch mm-hmm. him because you just can't. And that and, and, and sometimes that's what's really nice about fantasy bad guys is you're just like, oh, well, he's level 18. And he's got a fuck yeah. ton of magic items, yeah. i.e. you'll eventually get a shot at this guy, but not yet. Yeah. Right. Like, or, and, or even and, like you could take a shot, but you could miss. Yeah. Like you're going to need to grind your way up to this. Fight. And there and there are also tropes you can use. Like in superhero games, whenever I run a superhero game, the first thing I tell people right off the bat is, OK, the first two things you have to know that you're going to buy into if we're going to play this is number one. You don't kill. You don't kill your enemies. Sure. I mean, like, and number yeah, two, you the, don't you don't loot their bodies. Like I said, that's the session zero stuff. right? Yeah. Like you can yeah. you can beat it with session zero. Yeah. Sessions, there's a way to beat that. So when we did the Demon King in Iron Heroes, I don't even remember. I think I just told you guys, like, I think I told you at some point during the game that the Demon King was like an incredibly high level end game mm-hmm. character. And so the whole like the campaign arcs of the game were mm-hmm. how do we get the stuff 
we will need yeah. to have the final confrontation. Yeah, we had that conversation at the beginning that the Demon King was not something that we were going to be able to touch right until the end. And, but, was, and he was like yeah. a demigod, so yeah. it was easy. Like it was very easy to be like he is way out of your power class, and yeah. he will crush you, right? And then I just like, and then it was like, but we're going to do all these things to build up to it. And it was promised, right? It was promised in the session zero. Like the ultimate goal of this campaign is you're going to kill the demon kid. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know who does that really well? It's mm-hmm. a lot of the early Pathfinder adventure paths with the buildup to the buildup. And the, like, like look at curse of the crimson throne where your main villain is the queen of the city. And you figure out that she's bad in like adventure four or five. And the rest of the thing is just trying to figure out, what are her plans? How can we stop some of them? How can we undo them? How can we build them up? I'm sure there's a group of players that just turned around and went after her, and not like, knowing, yeah, not knowing sure. what she actually was. Yeah, sure. she was the like possessed by the spirit of an ancient blue dragon. I think. Yeah. I'm sure there. I'm sure there are villains. Like Ten years ago, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So when they get resurrected, they're like, "Well, that didn't work." <laughs> well, no, you, don't, no, no, you just don't resurrect. You have new players coming to follow. I, yes. <laughs> I had that. I, I did. You guys have. I've told the story about the, the game I had where they TPK'd the party. And doing so unleashed the ancient evil. They weren't supposed to unleash yeah. to like level sixteen. I do like the twist sometimes where you think the person's un- an untouchable, but they're really a juggernaut. Sure, yeah. because like you, you, you do the thing where you're like, well, let's go get them, them, whatever, and you show up, and then they they wipe the floor with you because yeah. like you did not, you were not prepared for what just happened. It's kind of a funny twist. It, it, it's even better if that person looks like it. Like let's say they look like Les, Lex Luthor, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, you're like, I'm gonna take you down. It's like. Turns out this thing's a super Lex Luthor robot. Like, mm-hmm. hey, what? They they made the Amazo bot a Lex Luthor with Lex Luthor uh, outside. Right. Oh, oh it, it, you know, and then it's like pummeling everyone, and yeah, that would work. Yeah, those are. I mean, those are um, fun tropes. And depending on your untouchable, if your untouchable also falls into some of those other classes of of adversary, right? Your untouchable may already have thought. Like, of course, they're going to take direct a- action. Yep. My LMH, right, is uh, like. Is fully prepared to get murdered. What's an LMH? Life, mo- life human decoy model thing. They yeah, out, like the Nick Cage. Oh, LMD. LMD. Sorry, uh, LMD. The, the, right. The theory, so yeah, like my LMD is fully ready to take this bullet. In fact, that like except the real Lex Luthor has never been out anywhere, like outside of his like satellite fortress, right? And murdering the bot is the first clue that like oh he's not here even though that it shows up it it does change it which is interesting because you can have like this it's like an untouchable then it becomes like a mastermind that's sitting on top of this pyramid yeah Yeah. you guys are real fun messing with this for those who haven't read them life model decoys are are shield robots that look and act just like a real person and oftentimes don't know that they're actually a a, a decoy tons of them yeah, in, in, tons of them. They did a bunch of stuff, but they were so LMD is life model decoy. Yeah, in That's fantasy, a good guy version of Doombots. Yeah, and in yeah, fantasy, as clone. Yeah, in fantasy land, you fantasy land, you polymorph like a a, a reasonably powerful retainer. You just to make be, clones of yourselves. Yeah, just you There's know, all sorts of things you can do. All sorts of all sorts of clones. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, that's an old Amber joke. No, I just wanted to bring it up because I don't think we talked about that idea in the uh, in in the earlier part. The uh, like this is. I mean, as much as all, all game mastering is a mind, a mind, a mind game, a trick, like this one's even more of a trick. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I, I mean, it's it, a trick inside of a trick. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think part of it's also just, this is where like having NPCs tell the heroes early on, like you don't want to go up against this person. You, like if the players ignore that, then sometimes you gotta smack them down. Like if, if they're told over and over again, don't except confront this the, except the one the one player who grabs the sniper rifle, sits on top of the building across, and just right. shoots him. Here's because so, that's the one the one that's the lone wolf player right. archetype that'll do something silly. So so here's so here's <laughs> the other here's the other part of do it. Do they right? though? Like mm-hmm. it's not. I don't like. I'm just taking their agency away at that point. Here's the other part of it, right? 
again, then this is the all the whole mind game. So you got to take the untouchable in and out of reach and and distract the players with other storylines. Yeah. If all you give them is only the untouchable storylines, yes. like yes. nonstop. And this, this is true for players. This is almost universally well, true for players. There will become a, a the critical mass point where the players will no longer accept any more plot uh, hooks until they destroy that, this that, creature. That, that gets into my next my right. comment here. So, so what you got to do is just, it, yeah. so yeah, you just got to slide in other stories, right? Is that what you're going to talk about pacing out? But Pretty to, much. To, to just before we move out, the reason I brought it up is because there, there are ways to solve it. One, oh, yeah. you make the, the constraints during session zero, which is important. Yep. Yep. You do the thing where the untouchable is only untouchable until you run into them and there's something else. Sure. That's that's the second one. Was there a third one that we had? Either way, those are two really good ones mm-hmm. for your, your, mm-hmm. un, your untouchable. Sacrifice pawn. The sacrifice the pawn. Yeah, the sacrifice the palm one's good because mm-hmm. then then you'll get them on camera, and that's the way to like or get them like in in a in a very compromised position. If I hadn't had to dispatch my clone to Metropolis while I was doing important business, it would have been I who was murdered by Speedy, right? Uh-huh, like exactly. Now yes. Speedy's screwed. Luther's mm-hmm. fine, and you're even more screwed because once you fail at this attempt, the GM now has every right to up all the defense. Of course, yep. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there are there are ways to, to get around it. That's why I, that's why I had to bring it up. I thought it was important to talk. <laughs> yeah, about. it's important. Yeah. It is. All right. What's your point here? Mine is uh, I always have trouble just making sure that I can balance the PC success against the Untouchables' plans versus the frustration of not being able to get at the Untouchable directly. And this goes back to what we talked about earlier. You have to have the Untouchable stay Untouchable, but don't deal the players' constant setbacks. Um, mm-hmm. I've talked about a game that I played in where there was an Untouchable in the game, and every time a plan went off that the Untouchable was was involved in. They always appeared. This was not a modern campaign, so we didn't have sniper rifles and stuff like that. Um, they always appeared in a situation where we could see them and knew they were involved in something, but they always had something else we had to do that was always a misdirection. And we always beat that little battle, but the untouchable managed to get whatever they wanted and get of away. Um, the famous situation being they set fire to the Louvre, and while we were busy trying to put out the fire, they went over and knocked down some other French something or other and unleashed a greater demon. And I was like, I would have let the building burn down to stop the greater demon. The greater demon's the threat. Sure. And once again, I'm like, this is the third time this guy's shown up that we've had to deal with something and he got away <laughs> and it felt like we were never winning. It felt like we were falling into their trap every time that as a player was un- difficult as a GM. It's the same thing. You want to give them some successes, show them that they're foiling the, the untouchables plans. Um, I mean, you don't have to literally have them going on Richards in front of everybody, but you want to be able to show that they're having some effect. The untouchable is still untouchable. Um, interjecting, like we said, interjecting yeah. other plots in there so they don't have to every week. Because um, if the players get to the point where they ignore your other plot hooks to go after the untouchable, yeah. that's where you. That's what that, that. Then it's time to ramp that that campaign. That up frustration to level will get to a breaking point, and then the players will just be. That's it. It's on. Yeah. Now, if you go to a, the situation like you said, the Louvre is on fire. If instead the the villain's plan, there's something in the Louvre. That when it's destroyed by the fire, that unleashes mm-hmm. yeah, the Yerator Demon. Yeah. And then you guys prevent the fire from destroying the Louvre and you, you prevent the demon. Now you've given them yes. that chance to foil the plan. Mm-hmm. A few things, right? So one, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe stealing Chris's thought off the top of his head. First of all, you gotta make the decision much harder between Greater Demon and what's in the Louvre. If all you're talking about is yes, some priceless things are going to get burned. It's hard to gauge that players will really appreciate that. But, I don't care. <laughs> but if if the thing, but if the scroll or yeah. the instructions that are written on the back of the Mona Lisa mm-hmm. that explain how to defeat the bad guy yep. are burning, are about to That's burn, good. and he's using it as a diversion to let loose a demon from you know the you know 
um, what you call it, from uptown at like Arctic, Arct- um, like whatever. the Arctic Triumph yeah. or whatever. Now, as Chris loves to do, this is a hard decision. Yeah. Right. Because now it's like, oh, do we stop the demon but lose the secret for how to like, you know, how to defeat him later? Or do we stop the demon? And we lose the secret in hopes that we'll find another thing later. That's also a balancing act too, because if you give your players too many hard decisions over and over again, they they just get frustrated. I think they're talking about Chris. No, not talking. I'm talking in general. Like 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 if every way keeps them like way better about it. Yes, yes, yes. But but like I've been in games where like every session is a hard decision. Each of the point where like we never win, and that's you you want to make sure your players feel like they win. Something. Well, let's solve solve the problem. So this is about pacing, right? Yes. This is a pacing situation. So everyone. So. These are the things that you can do then. One, you can have them win, which foils the, the Untouchables plans, which is a small setback for them. Sure. Yes. Which means they'll react in small some setback. way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Two, you can have the misdirection. Nothing yep. wrong with that. Mm-hmm. That's actually a cool plot point, right? Like, go do this. Oh, no. And making sure it's good. Like, you, you guys actually created a good one. Like, oh, the instructions are in the back of the movie. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, that would be a great story. That would be I'd great. I would have been all behind that. I'm on, yep. Yeah. Um, three, uh, the, the Untouchable could just win. Like just beat the players in, yeah. in the situation. Like that's another plot. Then arc, that can arc two is the fallout, right? Yeah. Like, well, not even yeah. arc two, just like that particular step of their oh, plan, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like, um, what, what's some other ones? So those are the three. Like the players win. There's the misdirection. The the, the adversary wins. It's a stalemate. The stalemate. Yeah, yeah nobody yeah. gets anything that they yep. want, yep. which can feel good. Like yes. sometimes the stalemate's a win. Yep. 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 That's four. Is there any others? Oh, I'm sure there's others. It's it's also the yeah, it's off the top of our heads. Mm. That's. It's also balancing all those. Well, of course, but that's what I mean. Like now that you know what the four, like you have four different plot points that you can utilize. And I would use that. Which means you can now, those are four possible endings for any situation that pop up. Right. And so, then, like any kind of facing situation, you don't want to have the same beat too many times. That's what I was about to say. Excellent. Yeah. That's so, what happen. So, in those four things, like you can not make those things happen, but plan for those things to be the more likely outcomes. Mm-hmm. So, I would say that if we're looking at this in terms of pacing, and maybe this will be a future episode idea, right? The um, in this case, this villain is mer- very much a try fail cycle. Yeah. Like yes. you need to try. Sometimes you fail. You try. Sometimes you succeed. Yep. The climax of all of this will eventually be the big showdown, right? Or however you take them, like however you remove their untouchability. You want you want to get to the real story thing, so you will have your try fail cycle at the in after you've broken into Act Two. Yes, which is a bunch of scenarios, like three to four scenarios or five scenarios, where you're like doing things. Yes, which by the way, Ox did this really well, where you're trying to deal with the situation of whatever it is and having fun with it, and then you get to a midpoint, which is like. Uh, and either an abject loss or an abject mm-hmm. win. Like, and then there's another thing that there's another stretch of time that occurs after that before you get into act three, yeah. which that it's the same kind of thing, but usually it focuses more on, on emotional stuff with the player. Characters. Yeah. I will, I will also yeah. say that a good tactic, if you want to make a nice act one and buy yourself some time for your untouchable is concealment. So your untouchable um, while untouchable starts as an unknown to the players or starts with an alias right yes in in our in our um in our d20 modern game the wolf was just the name of some mysterious bad guy right poorly ripped off from pulp fiction but like the wolf and the first part of it was well who is the wolf yeah because once then, you find out that's yeah. the break into two right and yeah. what yeah exactly and once they found out they were like oh shit he's the chief of police right like we're yeah. we're like in like we're in we're, this is way worse than we thought it was yeah. which is a great like which is a great opening into act yeah, two because your normal life of like, well, there's criminals doing criminal things. It's upended because you find out the main criminal is the police. Yeah, like, well, now your world's flipped upside down. Like going back to our oh, first segment, I'm right? talking about storytelling stuff for screenwriting and novel writing. Yeah. yeah. Like going yeah, back to the first segment, mm-hmm. the mayor isn't like all the people, all the like people that are involved in the mayor's plot. Like 
they don't refer to him as the mayor, no. right? They refer to him as like the high lord or, the boss, or yeah. the, you know, the prince, the you know, the, the prince of the dark one. What, like, and the players are like, I don't know, who's this guy? And then eventually they're like, oh, shit, it's the mayor. And then they're like, oh, man, what are we going to do? And so now you've bought yourself like when we talk about all, all of these things are mind games. Yeah. The discovery part has bought you several adventures where they never have taken a run at the at the yeah, untouchable because they're just a I don't know who it is. Figure in the background, yep. Yep. And it's a great it's a great stall tactic before they are, you know, so like it goes like this. Who are they? Oh, shit. This is who they are. Can we do this? No. Can we do that? No. Can we do this? Oh, now we got to go find a weakness. All right, let's explore here. Try fail, try fail, try fail. Right. And then eventually and by try fail, try one of those things. Yeah. yeah. Eureka, we have yeah, something. There should be some successes in the try fail. So. Yeah. Like Eureka, yeah. we have something. It's, you know, like, oh, we're going to we're going to we're going to get him on. You know, we'll take him to court for taxes. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Capone. Yeah. Capone. Capone. Watch the, un- you know, watch the, watch the untouchables. Watch the untouchables yeah. is a great example of that try fail. And, and the last thing I want to bring up as part of this is just as an odd little aside. Be careful when you have your plans to make sure that if you allow the players to succeed, you don't throw things off too much. I remember trying to run a VNV game that was similar to the Weather Dominator storyline. Sure. Where the villain's trying to collect like five different artifacts. Yep. And the players just found the first one and destroyed it. Yes. And now you're like, all right, well, what happens next? Plan for that kind of thing. Throw out uh, a seven parts. There's gotta probably. be there's yeah. gotta be more than one one. Either the thing can't be destro- destroyed, so right. it's there yeah. to be stolen later. Yeah. Or two, there has to be more than more than one way to combine those five things. Yep. Like there's to be yeah. other pieces out there. Yeah. Somebody that can build a thing, whatever. They even do that in the in the published that Brown Adventure I was running you guys through, where it's a the met- schema. Yeah, the schema. The first couple adventures are Dude, I ran that. And somebody blew up the schema of the first adventure. Yeah. But <laughs> but but no matter what, the play they always tell like by by adventure three, it's like the uh, the villains managed to. They even tell you right in the rules that like the the villains managed to make a copy of this one and, uh, found there it. You go. and, and so have that in, have that ready. But when that happens, that does make the players feel like they like. What was the point of us doing this first thing? I'm yeah, a, sure. That's I'm why a, that's why you had to put in subplots about the fact that when we were doing it, that the other person you were working for needed the schema to do something big to stop the villains. So even though the villains had a piece of it. You need to have that in place. You've got something that happens. What happens if your players do uh, make that point? Because I've I've run adventures where the players have whatever your contingency is. Yeah, have I mean, that contingency is. and have you, a good time with it. You got to so. do some. You got to do some upfront thinking yeah. when you plan this one. But also when they come up with a plan, when the players come up with a plan like this at the table, don't let them enact it in that session. Like that's a cool idea. You guys definitely once you know where that is. Like, and then you can like, you know, go home between sessions and be like, okay, or if you're really good, <laughs> if you're really good, just be like, give me 30 minutes. Yeah. 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 Wherever you are. Whatever, you, wherever you Somebody are. Somebody go yeah. pick up pizza. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on. Yeah. Good. That's a good conversation. Yeah. It's very good. I yep. guess that means we're going to roll into the conversation corner. Bob, we'll let you start since you can talk a lot. Yeah. Hey. Since you didn't get to talk a lot, since I can't speak over here. I'm going to misdirect the mark. Word scramble. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to do the Chris thing. I'm going to talk about everything else first. I think we should just all do that from now on. So it's almost like the better. Uh, obviously, uh, we had our Ox game mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago, and we had our NBA game. That's right, because you weren't here last. I wasn't week. here last. Week. Um, good sessions. Um, I've been watching the Owl House, and I'm down to the finale <laughs> of season two. And uh, Senda was right, as she is always. <laughs> um, I'm also in the process of reading uh, volume one of the collected works of Roger Zelazny. Hmm. Um, so it's like short stories, poetry, all that stuff like that from his early days. And there's some interesting stuff. In um, so I'm, I'm burning through books like there's no tomorrow. So that's good. Um, but my one thing, um, I knew of its existence, but I, I, I kind of just brushed it off as another one of those go online and, and make an image of your character type tools. Hero Forge um, 
damn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we started talking about it. And I jumped on. Um, it was during the uh, the Zoom call. For, I love Zoom Market Lunch, yeah. right? Yeah. I jumped on and started cool. looking at this thing, and I was like, holy shit. And I spent like most of the rest of the call making a character on it mm-hmm. and tweaking colors. And so you can do a complete 3D model and change out every aspect you can think of, mm-hmm. including what they're wearing, what they're carrying, the shape of their, their body, their face, their eyes, their ears, like everything, mm-hmm. uh, and then color it all. And then you can have them 3D print it and send it to you in color. Yep. Yep. Um, it's, it's expensive. Obviously not free. It costs money. Um, you can also download the STL files if you have a 3D printer of your own at home and just print it yourself, which is much cheaper than having them print it for you. Um, but it's an amazing tool. And if you just want to do a little fiddling to get a visual of a character, you can just go on there for nothing <laughs> and just tweak everything mm-hmm. and get a character and then do a screenshot and be like, this is what my character looks like. Yep. Yep. Um, it's there, there is a thing if you I, I I didn't explore it further, and I'm sure people who are listening know this better than I do. There's a thing where you can get like you can pay something. And if you do, you can um, you can like change backgrounds and make tokens out of your um, out of your figure and all that stuff, yeah. even if you don't print it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I need something that like, look, if I just paid you like 25 bucks or something, could I just like use this thing to make characters and then just keep exporting them into like JPEGs or something for tokens for my online game or for you know putting up pictures or whatever because sure you can export them and use them in things like uh i've seen people use them in tailspire yeah models yeah so i mean this is the kind of thing where i'm i'm like i'm kind of looking at it like i don't really need minis but this tool yep is like so cool for just like quick whipping up what you want a character to look like i want that and it's i think there's really a thing smart. i'm gonna go look while you're uh talking. Well, you're on yeah. Maxfield, so. there's uh there's a there's a lot of really cool things about it so you're next. All right, I'm up next. I'll look at the thing later. Um, my big one thing this uh, this weekend was uh, another good weekend of cooking. You're gonna do everything else first. Yeah, I was. Sorry, <laughs> I read it as it's written. All right, my everything else. Um, played Long Live the Queen this weekend. That was very good. Um, started reading a book uh, called Beggars in Spain by Nancy Cress. Uh, it's the first in uh, what's called the Sleepless trilogy. Um, it's poor kids. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool story. I, I read it back in college in my topics in science fiction class and. Uh, I reacquired the book years ago when uh, we were on our way to Origins. We were having, uh, we went to a used bookstore. Remember, we went mm-hmm. and had lunch with the Flanagans. I picked it up then. Anyway, um, so I was, so I'm starting to read that, and it's actually the first book I've read in a while. Which I was, the I was having some concentration um, issues and focus issues for a while, but I, I got into this book, so I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I quick whipped up a new uh, Cortex game because uh, I'm flying out to. Flying out to see Senda, and uh, Senda, her kiddo, and I are, are going to play a role-playing game. Last time we played some Fate, this time we're going to play some Cortex. Uh, I whipped up this game called Solar Legacy. I might talk about it um, either in the after show or some other time. Uh, came out really cool. Um, and total Cortex thing. Uh, I started messing around with um, Midjourney. If you're paying attention on Twitter, Midjourney is this AI that makes artwork. It's dope. Like, uh, we'll definitely be talking about Midjourney more. Um, it is both um, revolutionary for what it can do for publishing and also um, possibly problematic in what it's going to do for artists um, in terms of how it works. I don't think I understand the impact of it enough, but it's definitely going to shake some things up. Uh, but I was messing around with it because I was really curious about it. I've been seeing people posting on it. Uh, and lastly, I finished up Stranger Things. Solid. No spoilers. We'll do it sometime. Solid. We'll talk about it sometime. Yeah. Good yep. stuff. All right. My one thing cooking on saturday i've gotten into this thing and i do it most of the time where on saturdays i like to make something a little fancy for myself uh, but i also decided on saturday to um to do some baking for you guys i made uh i made muffins again 
Uh, one, because I just wanted to practice making muffins. Uh, because the more I make them, the sooner I can migrate from uh, just blueberry uh, into um, pumpkin spice. Those are some kick-ass blueberry muffins, oh man! Well, thank you. I'm glad you. That, that's really Senda's recipe. I can't. I like Senda's, yeah, and she coached me oof, through it. It's so. Almost fall. Pumpkin spice is coming. Yeah, I, I pumpkin. So excited. Pumpkin spice with cream cheese filling is what we're gonna. I'm um, just gonna bring pumpkin spice lattes for everybody so we can drink pumpkin spice lattes with our and pumpkin muffins. With our pumpkin Hell muffins. Yeah. I, and I've been enjoying it. I've actually been timing it so that I bake on the weekends when you guys come over for ox. So like two weeks before that we had brownies. The brownies. Um, so I'm, I'm having fun with that. And then I made this like awesome dinner. I made this uh, lemon garlic chicken with green beans that um, was just delicious. Like, that looked I, really good. That, oh, that, that had everything that I like in it. It was, it was really good. It was um, lighter than some of the other things I've made because I've made a bunch of things with like some heavy cream sauces. This was a much lighter sauce, um, but it was delicious. And I modified the recipe. Like I've gotten after like a year of doing this, I've gotten to the point now where I like, I looked at the recipe and I'm like, okay, cool. I see what you're doing here with these spices, swapping these spices out for these spices, because I think it's going to go better. And it totally did. Um, but yeah, I made that and I had some, um, I had frozen from a previous week. I had some homemade bread I had made. So I had that chicken and green beans along with some warmed up uh, chunk of homemade bread. Uh, it was killer. Uh, so yeah, I've gotten into this thing where I really just like, I like on Saturdays, I clean my apartment and I bake and I cook and uh, it's fun. That's me. Cheer. Right. I'll do my everything else. Um, first of all, uh, get ready for vacation. This is the longest vacation I've taken as an adult, as I've said before. Uh, my wife and I are going away and going to have a good time. Um, it's just been, been fun to pack. Um, Ox was outstanding. And uh, two weeks ago and this two week, we didn't, we didn't do it this weekend. Instead, we sat and we watched um, uh, Lower Decks. Decks, which was a lot of fun. Um, Stranger Things, I'll just say it was amazing. I had to wait to watch the last episode and it was well worth the wait. Um, Valheim, we've been doing, Bob and I have been playing Valheim. We're, we're into the exploration phase where we're trying to build up enough resources for everybody else to join us against the next boss which means Bob and I are going out doing um, dangerous things and getting killed a lot, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, Chris, you'd be proud of us for some of our stupid ideas. Um, and the one thing, uh, while, while looking at the cast of Stranger Things, uh, I was looking at other things that some of the actors have been in, and there's a show that was on the BBC called CB Strike, which is a British uh, murder mystery about a uh, British uh, soldier who was uh, military police who lost his leg in Afghanistan and is now a... Um, private investigator uh, he's the son of a famous rock star whose mother uh committed suicide but he doesn't think that she committed suicide so he's got a chip in his shoulder about trying to solve crimes so he's a gritty private detective who has a lot of contacts among um celebrities in the idle rich and he ends up getting an assistant who is a uh a young lady who dropped out of college while studying psychology and she works for a temp agency that he can't afford and gets involved with helping him on his cases and has skills he doesn't have um including a really cool land rover um he can't drive because he's he has trouble driving with the artificial leg and so it's it's murder mysteries and um they're they're bbc season so season one is two three episode story arcs season two is one two episode story arc season three is a four episode story arc and season four so it's it's different uh so some some of the stories are short some are long um it's a lot of fun i like these uh these shows that have a good character build up because the, the arcs are short, um, they don't waste a lot of, of filler time. At the same time, there are episodes where half the episode is just character depth and building characters you care about. Um, some of the criminals that you like, some of the sessions. He has a very good uh, support team of criminals and ne'er-do-wells and people he grew up with that 
help him occasionally. Um, if you're a fan of the 80s Equalizer TV show, kind of like that. Um, and his assistant, Robin, is um, very skilled at seeing things and is learning. While she's learning the private detective side of things, she's also got a lot of skills that he doesn't have and often out, out thinks him. He needs to get into a certain place. And she comes up with a way to pretend to be somebody else or a way to um, gather information that he doesn't think he's going to be able to get. And she gets it. So um, they form a partnership and, and, and there's other subplots, everything, which is a really good show. I like these kind of things and it's not a huge investment. It's going to, it's, they haven't released season four over here. So it's like 11 episodes altogether, I think. So three and what are they like an hour long? They're hour long. Hour? They're not long. Actually, there's 12 episodes so far. It's six, four and two, six, four and two. So yeah, they're an hour long. Um, they move along pretty quickly and there's a lot of fun. You, you didn't mention who the star was for that one. Uh, I don't remember the actor's name. Well, who is he from Stranger Things? He's not. He's oh. not. He's. Uh, well, I thought. I thought that's what you said. No, one of the characters in season four that I haven't gotten to yet, or season three, is um, Eddie Munson. Oh. Okay. So, so he's not even one of the main characters. Oh no, no, no. Just the, the, main char- okay. the main character. When you told us the story Sorry, prior to this, yeah, I, yeah. I got the impression that Eddie no. was the guy. No. Okay, this is how I often come across shows. I was like, oh, what is this character been in? Because a lot of the characters in Stranger Things, that that's their first big thing. So they were secondary or tertiary characters in something else. And I was, and I read this a description of this, and it was short. Uh, the The main actor, I can't remember his name, but he was the he played Athos in the BBC um, Musketeers Three Musketeers show, which was also excellent. Um, so uh, it's it's a lot of the other it's, it's a who's who of third tier BBC character actors acting their their asses off. So if nice. you if you like good procedural shows, if you want something with good character development, and you want something that um, is is you know short form, it's good. Uh, trigger warnings there. He often deals with a lot of pretty horrible things. So there is um, some of these criminals are, um, you know, attack children, attack women, do other things like that. So there's going to be some of that as subplots. Um, the villains generally get there, get there, whatever. So be ready. Chris? So I will do my everything else first. I played Pokemon Unite. It's a great MM. It's a great MOBA. I like playing it. I watched Uncoupled. Neil Patrick Harris is the star. It's about a, uh, a older gay couple that were together for 17 years. And Neil Patrick Harris's character's partner leaves him without telling him why after 17 years. <laughs> and it's a bit of a rom-com-ish. It's not rom-com. It's a bit of a, it's like sex in the city for, for gay men, white gay men. Okay, in the 50s. Okay. It's interesting. I thought it was great. I watched all the eight episodes. Cool. I liked it a lot. We had a game day. I got to play Dominion Intrigue and we played a couple games of Planet. I really like Planet. Planet has Planet the Decadrian yeah. where you put the magnets on. Mm-hmm. I watched Lower Decks with you guys, and I've been watching it on my own. What a great show. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's the main character? Mariner. Mariner, Mariner Beckett might Beckett Mariner, yeah. Beckett Mariner might be my favorite character in all of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, you haven't gotten to season two yet. I haven't. I, I love everything about her. Live long and prosper. Yeah. <laughs> Just look cool when, when you do it. it. No, it yeah, really it does. does. <laughs> <laughs> my sister's 40th birthday party was on Saturday, and we played a dozen games of cornhole, and me and me and Jen, my wife, won every single one of them. That was fun. Nice. I got to run some leverage using Vertex Prime mm-hmm. instead of, you know, regular leverage, sure. which was fun. Like, it works okay. See, even I do the like thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my everything else. Now let's talk about my one thing. Ooh. The Harley Quinn cartoon started at season three. Mm-hmm. Oh my lord, is it so good. It is my favorite violent, ultra-violent rom-com that exists on the internet. <laughs> yes. Those two are hilarious, and they're trying to get used to being a couple now. They even ran into, in episode three, uh, Kite Man at the Villies, which is the Villain Awards show. Yes. And drama ensued in a really wholesome, ultra-violent way. You should explain who the couple is and why Kite Man's wholesome important. Wholesome and ultra-violent? Yes. You should explain. Wholesome and ultra-violent. It's Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, and they were doing the love-eat, the love 
kill Bangtor. Yes. Which is hilarious because it's a comic book that they referenced right in the show. It's good. I like it a lot. I think you should all go watch it if you like that kind of stuff. There's three seasons. All three seasons are great. They're not they're not what I expected because it's way more of a character study about Harley Quinn and eventually Poison Ivy than I was expecting. And it's a really good story. It's HBO Max. Yeah. It's on HBO Max. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you, right. should, you should explain the reason Kite Man's important to that story. Oh, because that. they were going to get married at the end of season two. And I'm not going to tell you what happened. The Kite Man and Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy, yes. Yeah. But I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I mean, if you watched it, you knew what I meant. If you hadn't watched it, it was a question that was raised. You should go watch all of it. It's really worthwhile. Cool. All right, I'm done. Let's do some Patreon shoutouts, Bob. Yeah. We would like to shout a very big thank you to Jason Pitt, Gene Lorbear, Jeff Stevens, Joe Rasso, John, M.T. Black, Mike Olson, Ed May's Lover, Robert Dorgan, Ryan Bolter, and Troy Pitchuman. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can get more content through our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash misdirectedmark, where we release videos on Tuesdays along with other content in our Patreon. You can also listen to some of the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, The Aforementioned, Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnomecast, Bonus Experience, and the excellent back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the all-new GM Mastermind. Before your players bust in on the door and arrest your untouchable, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly using the old antique emails at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters to show the network is at misdirectedmark. Over there, that's Robert M. Everson, GM Gerrymander, The Light. 101. Where you can the, get all your smooth jazz. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm DNA Phil. Remember that Patreon we mentioned earlier? If you want to support us and other shows from Distracted Mark Productions, you can do that at patreon.com slash MMP. Your patronage will get you access to the After Show podcast, our show notes, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, and other special releases. This has been a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.